Welcome back to Dictatorum, episode 2.1, A Geography and History of Romania. If you're coming back, it means you must have liked my series on Muammar Gaddafi, which I'm glad to hear. With our subsequent series, I plan on including more personal details about each dictator we cover. This means you'll be hearing their names a lot, and I'm sorry for that, and I'll try to switch it up when I can, or use nicknames or first names or whatever. With our second series, we're switching gears and traveling northeast across the Mediterranean Sea and up the Balkan Peninsula to one of Europe's most recent additions, Romania. Romania lies in the southeast corner of Europe, bordering the Black Sea. To the north and northeast are Ukraine and Moldova, respectively, with Hungary to the northwest, Serbia to the west, and Romania's southern border is almost entirely with Bulgaria. The majority of the southern border is made up by the Danube River, which flows through nine countries before entering Romania and eventually emptying onto Romania's Black Sea coast. The Carpathian Mountains make up most of the center of Romania, forming a kind of backwards L-shape. To the east of the Carpathians, the long stretch of the Eurasian steppe begins in Romania and stretches all the way to Manchuria in China. Romania has been inhabited for at least 40,000 years, with some of the oldest Homo sapiens being found there. Herodotus wrote about the region in Book 4 of his histories in the 5th century BC, noting that the Gete lived in the region surrounding the Danube River and were defeated by the Persians in battle. The Dacians, who are believed to have been part of the Gete, or possibly just another name for them, established the kingdom in the area that reached its greatest extent under the rule of King Burabista, who reigned between 82 BC and 44 BC. The Romans were in frequent contact with the Dacians as soon as they started moving east out of the Italian peninsula, and because Burabista sided with Pompey, Julius Caesar was probably planning a campaign against them when a bunch of his friends stabbed him to death in the Senate House in 44. Burabista died the same year, and his kingdom crumbled in short order. By 29 BC, Roman holdings reached as far north as the Danube, which created a natural barrier between them and the Dacians. This natural barrier would remain the de facto border between Rome and the barbarians for more than a hundred years, when Emperor Trajan defeated the Dacians under their king Decebalus and took control of his domains in 106 AD. Those lands made up most of the modern country of Romania. Just prior to the Trajan's conquest of Dacia, he had the famous architect Apollodorus of Damascus built the first bridge across the lower Danube to facilitate the movement of trade and armies in and out of Dacia. At over 1,300 meters long, the bridge stood for 165 years and was a momentous achievement in Roman architecture. Its ruins can still be seen today. Dacia was Rome's first major settlement north of the Danube, and it was valued for the precious metals that were mined in the Carpathians such as gold and silver. Wheat was grown in large quantities, and Dacia became a fruitful province for two centuries. Roman colonies, roads, baths, and fortifications were built all over the new province. Settlers were imported from all over the empire, while much of the native population was sold into slavery. In Rome and Dacia, the cities and colonies founded after the conquest had large immigrant populations, while the rural countryside had larger native populations. They would hold on to the area until the crisis of the 3rd century, when the province was abandoned after a revolving door of emperors and a slew of military setbacks, plus an inability to defend the lands even south of the Danube, much less to the north. But although Roman troops and administration left, 
the region had been heavily Romanized, and this cultural and linguistic influence would remain. Barbarian tribes started to occupy the former Roman province, and the Tervingi and Goths would launch attacks across the Danube from Dacia into Moesia, modern Serbia and Bulgaria. Roman emperors intermittently made sorties into the old province of Dacia, and this happened for the last time in 369 AD. After the Goths requested asylum in the empire due to the Huns pushed westward, the Romans agreed but bungled the job so badly that the Goths turned on their benefactors, and in 378, they killed Roman Emperor Valens at Adrianople. After that crushing defeat, the Goths stayed in the empire, and Dacia was left to the Huns, then the Gepids, then the Avars over the next 200 years. This period saw massive declines in populations, but large numbers of Roman and Byzantine coins means that the empire still had significant sway in the region. The Avars made contact with the Byzantines in the 550s and pushed the Gepids out of Dacia and settled in Pannonia, which is modern Serbia and Croatia, and the Carpathian Basin. By the early 600s, the Bulgars, a Turkic tribe far from the northeast, had arrived in the area. Although they settled mainly south of the Danube in what's now modern Bulgaria and North Macedonia, the Bulgars at time held vast areas of land in what's now Romania. The Bulgars melded with the local Slavs already present in the Danube, adopting their language and eventually dropping their steppe nomad ways. North of the river, the Slavs seemed to be absorbed into the Daco-Roman culture. Although the Avars would remain in force in Romania until their defeat by Charlemagne in the late 700s, their influence on further Daco-Roman culture and language seems to be negligible compared to the Slavic influence. This Slavic influence is the one most heavily felt in modern Romanian language and culture. The arrival of the Hungarians after the fall of the Avars brought another cultural influence to Romania and a rival for control over the Carpathian Mountains. The Hungarians brought most of the Carpathians under their control by the 11th century, while the south and east of the country remained in the hands of the people history is finally starting to refer to as Romanians. By about 1000 AD, their language and culture can really start to be classified as Romanian and not Daco-Romanian. There's fierce scholarly debate about how this transformation over the centuries happened and how the people north of the Danube could maintain their Roman identity in the face of constant cultural onslaught from the steady stream of invading armies. But as I said, by about 1000, we can start calling them Romanians. Skip forward until the 1300s and we see Romania split into three constituent parts, Transylvania in the northwest, Wallachia, which makes up the south-central part of the country, and Moldavia, which was situated in the northeast. The Polish-Lithuanian Commonwealth made up Romania's northern border, and the Tatars, who were descendants of Genghis Khan's Mongols, held sway to the northeast. Wallachia and Moldavia were principalities at this time. In the late 1300s, the Ottoman Turks had taken over Bulgaria to the south and claimed control over Wallachia and Moldavia soon afterwards. The rulers of both countries, who were princes, maintained day-to-day -day control over their lands, but were obliged to placate the Sultan in Constantinople. By staying united in the face of Ottoman political and military moves, 
the principalities were able to maintain this light hand over them because they provided much-needed supplies to the Ottoman court. Over the years, the Ottoman group tightened, but clever and persistent lobbying by the principalities kept them from becoming Ottoman provinces outright, as happened with Bulgaria and Serbia, at least at first. In the 1430s and 1440s, we hear about this guy Vlad Tepish, also known as Vlad the Impaler, or Vlad Dracul, who became the Prince of Wallachia. He had a pretty decent career fighting the Turks, but he became most famous by becoming a character in the book Dracula, where he somehow became a vampire. If you go to Romania today, you can still see his castle, and get creeped out by the legends of the dude who drank blood. Moving on. By the 1500s, the principalities were considered provinces by the Sultan, but with a much lighter hand than elsewhere in the empire. Islamic law didn't penetrate past the Danube, and the princes still had much more autonomy than other parts of the empire. Still though, the sultans in Constantinople held a lot of sway over the principalities. They commandeered goods from the principalities at forced low prices to meet imperial needs. This had a detrimental effect on the development of a middle class in Romania, since the merchants were forced to sell their goods to Ottomans at prices far below what they could get on the international market. Second, the Ottomans demanded various forms of monetary payment from the three principalities, and levied soldiers to support Ottoman wars. By the late 1500s, Romanian princes had enough and raised the banner of revolt, led by Mihai Vitiazul, or Michael the Brave in English. In 1600, he briefly united Transylvania, Wallachia, and Moldavia into a single political unit. Romania was a country for the first time. But his endeavor was short-lived, as Michael was killed in 1601 by a Habsburg field commander who wanted Transylvania for himself. Romania was quickly reassimilated into the Ottoman Empire. Still though, Michael the Brave would become a symbol of what Romania could be for later revolutionaries. Despite being in revolt for several years before reassimilation, the Ottoman response to the revolt was a lot more gentle than one might expect. Romanian princes were still selected from amongst the nobility, and Romanian goods still flowed to Constantinople first, but the Romanians in Transylvania, Wallachia, and Moldavia still had a bit of autonomy. The princes, though, were normally chosen after paying exorbitant fees or bribes to the sultan's court, fees which ultimately fell on the peasants to pay. Despite this, the principalities weren't not without their share of good rulers. For example, Constantine Mavrokordat ruled in both Wallachia and Moldavia at various times in the mid-1700s, and he streamlined administration, brought the courts into the modern age, and reformed the monetary system. The Habsburgs of Austria-Hungary won Transylvania in 1699 after defeating the Turks, and set about remaking the region in their own image. Inclusion in the Habsburg Empire meant exposure to more ideas from Central and Western Europe. A Romanian national identity was beginning to form, and the gradual weakening of the Ottoman state plus these new ideas from Central Europe, only helped strengthen this belief. With the weakening of the Turks came the powers of Europe trying to seize Ottoman holdings, especially in the Balkans. As we said before, the Habsburgs seized Transylvania in 1699, but between the 1760s and the Congress of Vienna in 1815, Russia beat the Ottomans in three wars and was able to gain control over parts of eastern Moldavia, a region that would become better known as Bessarabia.
Russia also won the right to protect Orthodox Christians in the principalities against Ottoman encroachment of the principalities' autonomy. To a lesser extent, the Habsburgs sought territorial expansion to the south and east of the Carpathians in order to increase their economic interests in the region. The French took notice of the area as a potential bargaining chip during the reign of Napoleon, and the British saw the area as a potential buffer zone between Russia and the Ottomans. Another war between Imperial Russia and the Turks in 1828 and 1829 provided Wallachia and Moldavia with more independence from the Sultans, but also left them with a Russian military governor for five years, who initiated a slew of reforms known as the Organic Statutes. The revolutions of 1848 in Europe toppled the King of France, brought chaos to Berlin, and war to the Habsburg states. Romanians in Transylvania, which was a Habsburg possession, cried out for the unification of Romanian lands in the empire, and the emperor wasn't having it. By 1849, Transylvanian hopes had been dashed, and the unification movement had been crushed underfoot. The revolutions of 1848 brought revolution to Wallachia and Moldavia too, and liberal reformers demanded an end to the regime set up by the organic statutes. The Russian Tsar had other plans, though. By September, the revolution inside both principalities was crushed, and the next year Russia and the Ottomans instituted a joint protectorate over the principalities. The Crimean War in the 1850s, made famous by Florence Nightingale and the charge of the Light Brigade, saw a Russian defeat in the annexation of a small part of Bessarabia to the Turks, meaning that Russia no longer had direct access to the Danube. By 1861, Moldavia and Wallachia had elected the same guy as Prince, Alexandru Kuza. Their armies were unified under a single command, and the governments of the two principalities started working together. By the beginning of the next year, Romania, as it was now called, was a unified state under Prince Kuza, even though it was still technically an Ottoman possession. Kuza enacted a slew of reforms, namely in land redistribution, compulsory education of the masses, and the acquisition of a monasterial lands by the state, which made up a quarter of the country. A national bank was established in 1865 with foreign help, and laws were written to protect personal property, guarantee freedom for all before the law. But Kuz's reign wouldn't last long. He wasn't conservative enough for the conservatives, and he wasn't liberal enough for the liberals. He was deposed in a coup in February 1866 and lived in exile until his death in 1873. What it did provide was a framework for future Romanian governments to follow. Cusa's successor was chosen not from the Romanian nobility, as the princes had been for generation, but from Germany. Karl of Hohenzollern-Sigmaringen was elected as the ruling prince of Wallachia and Moldavia in May 1866. Yet another war between Russia and the Ottomans in 1878-1879 resulted in Romania's full independence, and two years later Karl was recrowned as the king of a fully independent nation, the Kingdom of Romania. Remember that part of Bessarabia that the Russians gave up before? Yeah, well, Romania had to cede that back to Russia as part of the deal that gave them independence. However, they did gain control of an area called Southern Dobruja, which was south of the Danube, northeast of Bulgaria. But all is well. Romania had independence after five centuries of Turkish domination. Now Karl had promulgated a constitution when he first assumed the throne. It provided for a representative government, 
held ministers accountable for their actions, and created a system of separated powers. It also guaranteed property rights, the right to free speech and assembly, and protection against unlawful search and seizure. Finally, the Constitution limited the powers of the monarch. However, key groups were left out in the cold. Women had few rights and couldn't perform a lot of actions without the approval of their husbands or a judge. Gypsies were also left hanging, although they could no longer be slaves, as they had been for centuries. The largest affected group was the peasantry, which made up the lion's share of the population. High property qualifications had to be met in order to vote, so in a nation of millions, few people could actually take part in the political process. That political process was dominated by two main parties, the conservatives and the liberals. Just like in most societies, the conservatives represented the interests of large landowners, while the liberals represented the interests of the just-emerging middle classes and of the industries which were making their way into Romania. Both parties supported the new economic ideas sweeping into the nation, just from different aspects. Other smaller parties often stayed small or broke up after a short while to join either the liberals or the conservatives. In foreign policy, the principality knew that it couldn't survive and thrive on its own, so it had to court their bigger European powers like Germany, Austria-Hungary, France, and later Russia for support. In all his calculations, Carroll felt his best bet was with the Triple Alliance of Germany, Austria-Hungary, and Italy. In 1883, Carroll signed a secret treaty with Austria-Hungary which would ally Romania with the Triple Alliance for the next 30 years. In 1912, Bulgaria, Serbia, and Greece attacked the Ottoman Empire and in quick succession won some huge territorial gains. The next year, Bulgaria became dissatisfied with how those gains were divvied up and attacked Greece and Serbia. Romania entered the fray and within a few months had gained control of more of southern Dobruja. Romania entered World War I in 1916 and got smashed up pretty badly by the German and Austro-Hungarian armies. But by the end of the conflict, Romania found itself in control of almost all the lands where ethnic Romanians were majorities. It acquired Bessarabia from Russia, Bukovina in the north, and Transylvania in the northwest, both of those from the crumbling Austro-Hungarian Empire, and the Banat region in the west from Yugoslavia. Romania had gone from a vulnerable new state to a mid-sized European democracy in just about 50 years. Not bad for a country that until recently had been dominated by the old man of Europe. This Romania, with its expanded borders, would come to be known as Greater Romania. It's right around this time, in 1918, that a boy was born in a small village west of Bucharest. The boy would get fed up with the village life, and leave home at the tender age of 10 to go live in the big city. Before long, he is committed to socialism. Little did anyone know that just after his 47th birthday, that boy would rule Romania. His reign would last 24 long, brutal years. Join us next time as we explore the origins of Nicolae Ceausescu.